I had found this hole in the world, the fact that one must somehow find a way of loving the world without trusting it. Somehow one must love the world without being worldly. I found this projecting feature of Christian theology like a sort of hard spike, the dogmatic insistence that God was personal and had made a world separate from himself. The spike of dogma fitted exactly into the whole of the world. It had evidently been meant to go there. And then the strange thing began to happen. When once these two parts of the two machines had come together, one after another, all the other parts fitted and fell in with an eerie exactitude. I could hear bolt after bolt over all the machinery, falling into its place with a kind of click of relief. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. Today we are talking about Orthodoxy, Chapter 5, The Flag of the World. Grace, how are you? And what are you drinking today? I am good. I am actually just drinking water, but out of a pint glass, (laughs) because I'm in my office right now, and the AC is out. And it's very hot. <laughs> so, oh goodness. Oh, decided no. to go to, uh, yeah, go with some ice water. <laughs> so, do you get, do you get fall in Louisiana? Uh, for a few weeks, maybe. Um, okay. right now we okay. are having glorious weather, though. It's been like low humidity, which is very rare. Um, and in the like 70s and low 80s which for us like probably sounds like summer to a lot of other people but for us is like uh, so amazing (laughs) so it's gorgeous it's like blue skies not a cloud like breeze just like low humidity Mm, so good so that sounds awesome yeah we're experiencing our first fall here and it was just like maybe last week that there was one evening where I thought, oh, it's chilly oh. all of a sudden. And it's the leaves are starting to kind of turn on some of the trees. There are like bright spots of red leaves now. Um, I think we'll be, you know, more so in fall next month, but it's pretty exciting. I'm pulling out my sweaters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in San Diego, it would still be really hot until yeah. the end of October, at least. So, well, I drink a coffee this morning a necessity of being up during the night and now we have coffee every morning without fail you have a baby that didn't happen the last time we recorded (laughs) yeah I had a baby I know it feels crazy I feel completely like a different person kind of and the same at the same time so um yes little alexander has been born and he's wonderful he's a really good baby and just obviously he's my son so (laughs) i'm obsessed with him (laughs) i love him a lot um he it's just every baby at this stage has to wake up at least two or three times during the night so david and i are doing our best with that but um he's generally great so no complaints he lets us sleep for like two or three hours at a time and that feels amazing when that (laughs) happens so I guess that answers the question what have I been up to basically having a baby being in the hospital being home and now 
I got to finally read orthodoxy to prep for this week over the past <laughs> couple of days, which is so nice. Um, what have you been up to? You guys had a crazy hurricane. Yeah, we Wait, had a hurricane. Hurricane, right? Yeah, um, it was it was pretty bad. And there's still, I mean, gratefully, it didn't hit us very hard, like exactly where I live, but very close to us. There's a lot of communities that were just totally devastated. So we um, have me at my job. Uh, I'm in charge of service, <laughs> which is sort of random, um, I guess, stuck with the other parts of my job, which are more like teaching oriented. Um, but because of that, I had to kind of organize some student work crews and things to go and help people. So it's just been, it's been a lot. Um, but the last week or so, everything's kind of like gotten more into a groove and it's kind of died down a little Good. bit. And, um, this is the first time since I started working here this summer that I feel like starting to get into like a rhythm, like a regular rhythm, because yeah. we basically had, you know, welcome week at the university and at the parish um, for like we had like a freshman week and then we had a welcome week and then the hurricane hit. So it was like everyone had just not come to normal. Campus, like, yeah, everything was crazy. And then the hurricane hit and then everything was more crazy and everyone was off of school for yeah. a little while. And like anyway, so it's just now starting to get kind of into a rhythm and it's just it's been really great. And that coinciding with our awesome weather has <laughs> been amazing. So, yes. yes. Yeah. Good. I'm glad things are getting better. It sounded devastating. I yeah. told Grace, Grace reached out to me um, when it was happening. Like, I don't know if you know what's going on. I'm not going to be able to record. We have no Wi-Fi down here, <laughs> all this stuff. And I had been taking a break from social media, basically. And David and I don't have a TV. So I stupidly didn't even know there was a hurricane going on. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't. And so I mean, I'm like, in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So far away, I know, I but mean. it... I, Still, I'm sure the rest of the country was hearing about it somewhere or another. Anyway, but <laughs> praise God, um, it ended. Yeah. Re and repairs, I'm sure, are being made and all of that. But yeah, David and I were saying we have to admit we are grateful that we don't have hurricanes <laughs> up here. That is yeah. It, that is some intense weather. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because it's like I mean I've lived on the, along the Gulf Coast for most of my life and there really hasn't been very many like devastating hurricanes that like hit my area. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it's like mm -hmm. once every like 15 years or so, there's just like a really massive one, you know? And then, and then like that yeah. season and the next season are like really active. But, um, but then there's like a lull, you know, and you don't really see it as much, but yeah. anyway, so. <laughs> well, Wonderful. Um, have you been reading since uh, since I last saw you? Have you been too busy to read? I've been a little too busy. <laughs> I like, yeah, I really haven't been reading a ton, to be honest. Um, just trying to get into rhythm. I've been prepping lessons and things like that, just trying to get my classes started. Um, but now that, like I said, yeah. everything's kind of in a rhythm, I hopefully will be able to <laughs> start branching out a little yeah. bit more and reading. Yeah. So, but yeah. I had a wonderful time reading this chapter uh, on my patio in the sunshine with a breeze. Oh, it was so nice. Oh, so. wonderful. Yeah. Um, I just started uh, Home by Marilyn Robinson for my book club, which is in a couple weeks, or actually it's in just over a week. So I'm going to have to try to power through that. Um, and then I've, I read this chapter that we're about to discuss about three times this week. Um, and 
was just saying before we started, I think this is one of my favorite chapters. Um, mm. I really enjoyed it, uh, revisiting it this week. So I'm excited to talk about it today. Me too. Um, okay, well, let's let's jump in. Uh, I don't have a summary of the previous chapters for you guys today. Um, that just did not happen with feeding a baby. But um, if you want to listen back at the beginning of the last um, episode, I did a little summary of all the chapters we had been through so far. So if you want to hear that again, go back and listen. Um, so today the chapter is called The Flag of the World. And um, Chesterton is really talking about um, A, whether or not we belong in the world, whether or not we're citizens of the world and what that means. Um, so that's what we're going to dive into today. And we're going to see how that connects to Christianity. Um, he kind of ties it all beautifully together by the end, I feel which like is we, where that quote kind of comes in Yeah, that I we read at the beginning. I feel like the this chapter is very, he kind of gives you finally a conclusion, not a conclusion, but an insight into his own autobiography. Like this is where everything starts to fit together. So he kind of builds yes. up a little bit at the beginning of the chapter with some explanations of things that it seems as if like he was pondering you know, what does it mean to be an optimist? What does it mean to be a pessimist? Like these kinds mm -hmm. of things. And then he felt this kind of incongruity. He didn't really know like where he should land. Mm -hmm. And he felt like there was good things in one and good thing in the other, bad things in one, bad things in the other. And stuff yeah. just did wasn't like fitting together and he couldn't figure it out. And in this chapter, he kind of has like the realization moment that Christianity mm -hmm. pulls everything together. Um, and so you hear yeah. a little bit um, about halfway through the chapter, I think you hear a little bit of him changing his tone to be a bit more autobiographical. I guess the whole book is, yeah. but um, it's very personal though. He's, yeah. he's saying, like he says at the beginning of the book, he's not giving this, you know, um, he's not a lawyer who is, making a, def a perfect loophole free defense of something mm -hmm. with, um, you know, all of the proper intellectual research that he's presenting. He's telling his story of how Christianity came to make sense to him and how he found it to be true. So mm -hmm. yeah, it gets very personal in this chapter. Um, and he kind of is, uh, it's interesting that he couches it in these, uh, two views of optimism and pessimism. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of confused me at first. Um, but I think that it's a valuable way to look at things because in couching it in these two viewpoints, he's also able to talk about a third viewpoint, which is sort of this blasé, detached, well, the world is fine the way it is mm -hmm. in the middle sort of view as well. So mm -hmm. he, he talks about the optimist who thinks, the world is just so great. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And it's this like sunny outlook mm. of the world, which is not honest mm -hmm. because we know that there are things wrong in the world. And then he also talks about the pessimist who sees the world as just everything being wrong with it, except for himself, mm -hmm. <laughs> except for the pessimist himself. Um, and then later in the chapter, he kind of talks about Marcus Aurelius, right? And that mm -hmm. detached stoicism of kind of just like, well, you shouldn't care too much and then you'll be fine. Like mm -hmm. you'll be happy mm -hmm. as long as you can stay completely detached. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. What, what problems do we see with, um, op I guess, optimism mm -hmm. first, this like 
I guess, strict optimism that he's talking about. Yeah, I, th- I found it really helpful that these distinctions that he's making in this chapter, and there's a couple of them. Um, but yeah, optimism, he describes as basically somebody who loves the world, thinks that it's perfect, um, and is uncritical of the thing that he loves. So if an optimist truly, in some sense, loves the world, but loves it in a way that is completely uncritical and therefore blind. Um, mm-hmm. And Chesterton argues later in the chapter, he has, I think, something that was very quotable about love mm-hmm. not being blind. Um, people say love is but blind. Being bound. Right. But he's saying, no, yeah. love is the opposite of blind. Like real love yeah. sees all the flaws and all the defects and loves it. Right. Like still, you know. Um, but yes. an optimist, he says, is, is not truthful right in some sense because they're claiming to love something but they're not able to criticize the parts of it that are broken you know and things like that so right yeah um it's just far in one direction um yeah the pessimist on the other hand um kind of hates the world he sees the brokenness of the world and he criticizes the world but he doesn't love the world he doesn't love the thing that he criticizes he doesn't see the good things no yeah um and so he there was a quote um about the pessimist let me see if i could find it um i thought it was really good he he accuses the pessimist although the pessimist would see himself as like a realist you know a lot of times like a pessimist Mm -hmm. would describe Mm -hmm. themselves as like i'm just telling you the reality or i'm being honest i'm being more honest than the optimist but he argues that the pessimist isn't being honest either Um, or candid he says candid Um, he says uh, I venture to say that what is bad in the candid friend is that he's simply not candid he is keeping something back his own gloomy pleasure in saying unpleasant things he has a desire to hurt not merely to help this is certainly I think what makes a certain sort of anti-patriot irritating to healthy citizens so he's he's saying like uh, the man who says I'm sorry to say that we're ruined and is not sorry at all Um, so it's like, there's this weird, like delight that a true pessimist would take in pointing out and criticizing. Um, but there's no real love underneath it. And it makes me think of people, um, you know, whenever I was teaching in high school, um, I would talk to my, we had like a little program that we had to do every year about various topics. And, um, one of them was bullying and, I would talk to them about joking around and they would always get all bent out of shape, especially the boys about um, teasing. And they would say like, Oh, but like, I love to tease my friends and stuff. So I'd always make them make a distinction um, Mm -hmm. between like friendly teasing and bully teasing. And like, what does that look like? These two different things. And the one that was bullying was like, you have an ill will towards someone. There's something underneath that is not, honest it's like you're you're having fun at the expense of that person but you don't really love that person but when you love your friends and you're teasing them and making fun of them like there's a different character to that type of teasing you know and I think that's what Chesterton's trying to say about this pessimist is that he criticizes the world but he enjoys criticizing the world because he really hates the world not because he loves the world yeah I think that is that is an excellent example with the with the teasing David said something to me earlier on in our dating, not because of us. I don't remember how it came up, um, but that there's a, there's 
which other people have said this, there's truth in joking, mm-hmm. right? Like there's truth about everything that you say. Or it reveals what you really think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it's those kind of like mean jokes and then saying, just kidding, just kidding. Right, right. Where, you know, you, you actually meant that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that spirit is in this pessimist that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, what, like you said, he says love is true love is not blind it's bound mm-hmm. and and it tries to improve the thing that it loves or the person mm-hmm. that it loves um and he uses this great example of wives <laughs> um and he says there's this uh misconception that women because they stand loyally behind the people in their life that they don't see any of the flaws of the people mm-hmm. in their life mm-hmm. and that they're just blind to all these flaws and he says you must have never known a woman <laughs> yeah You've ne- I laughed you must I have that. never <laughs> truly truly known a woman because a wife a, a friend loves his friend mm-hmm. but he's content to leave him as he is mm-hmm. a woman a wife loves her husband and is not content to uh, um, leave him as he is mm-hmm. she wants to try to sanctify him right yeah and so and and not you know obviously this is not universal in every marriage um certainly yeah but uh, a person who true is truly loving is trying to make their spouse better and right. so he says um the optimist and the pessimist in their two very extreme ways are content to leave the world as it is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, they honestly both hate the world because they're not trying to improve it to be the most beautiful, best um, Mm -hmm. world that it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says uh, later in the chapter that in order to, um, to truly serve the world as, as members and citizens of the world, that we have to passionately hate the, the bad things about the world and want to change them and reform them. And we have to passionately love the good things about the world and want to lift those things up and want to adore and laud those things. Um, so yeah, that the two viewpoints, I just, yeah, I find them very, very helpful Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. He says, um, the, he was trying to, to understand, like he used to think that he was an optimist, but then he realized that it wasn't optimism because he wasn't blind. Um, and Mm -hmm. he said, my acceptance of the universe is not optimism. It's more like patriotism. It's a matter of primary loyalty. Um, and that's yes. the kind of third way that he offers that he calls patriotism. Um, and he yes. defines patriot, true patriotism as this loyalty um, that is eyes wide open. Like I see the flaws and I love it yes. still, you know? Um, yes. And so patriotism, yeah, like I said, is this third way that he's giving um, that really is the way of love. He said, the point is not that this world is too sad to love or too glad not to love. The point is that when you do love a thing, it's gladness is a reason for loving it and it's sadness, a reason for loving it more. Yes. And he gives that great example of um, Pimlico, Mm -hmm. which David said, uh, there's nothing particularly wrong with that part of the world Mm -hmm. now but he at that time maybe it was um a different situation Mm -hmm. but it's a part of england like a part of london right it's like a neighborhood yeah yeah apparently it was rougher Mm -hmm. at that time so Mm -hmm. um but he talks about how the if if the men of that or the the people of that part of the world were to love it 
and care care for it in this way then it would uh what is he said it would become the new jerusalem yeah um and it would be transformed Mm. and this patriotism that he's talking about is so important because he's saying that we should love something because it is ours Mm -hmm. and at first it kind of seems like well this i don't know this country is much bigger than me and i mean especially in the u.s if you're in the u.s listening like we've got lots of issues in our country Mm -hmm. um i don't love a lot of things about our government Mm -hmm. or politicians in our government it's you know and so we could kind of raise our eyebrows at that but let's think of another example of something that's much easier to think about for me now is like i love my son because he's mine Mm. And someday mm-hmm. he's going to do something to disappoint me mm-hmm. or to disappoint God. And I still love him. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what he does, he's my son. Nothing will change that. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about our citizenship in the world in that way. Mm-hmm. And he has a great line that I'm going to just paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. But he basically says, um, we were born into this world and a part of this world before we could question mm-hmm. the world. And we can't change the fact that we are uh, citizens of this earth, that we were born into this uh, into this world. And I thought that was really beautiful. Mm. It's like, we should care about this just because it's ours. It's our world. We belong to it and it belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And we really can't escape it. You know what I mean? Like we, no. <laughs> like it, you can't go live anywhere else. No, Not like at this we're point. The, like this, this cosmos, like, you know, this, he says, uh, what does he say? optimism and pessimism are like arguments for the cosmic patriot but like yeah it's like this we have this patriotism for like the whole universe because like this is the universe that we were born into you know it's like there is no other universe for us to live in um but yeah the quote that you're referring to i had it i just had happened to have it right in front of me a man belongs to this world before he begins to ask if it is nice to belong to it he has fought for the flag and often won heroic victories for the flag long before he has ever enlisted to put shortly what seems the essential matter, he has a loyalty long before he has any admiration. Um, but yeah, and you were you were talking about your son. Um, I was thinking a lot about like the the smaller places that we live. So like Pimlico, for example. But like you know, for me right now, like I live in Louisiana, and I've talked about that um, a little bit on this podcast. Just. I don't know, like I've lived here for eight years now and there's something about it that is sort of grasped me. But like when people would first ask me when I first moved to Baton Rouge, people would be like, oh, like, how do you like Baton Rouge? And I was always kind of like, I don't know, like, I, you know, I like the people, I like the whatever, you know, I would say like certain things about it, but I couldn't like quite like say that I loved it because it like wasn't yet mine I still kind of felt like a foreigner but like now Mm. that I've been here for a little while like I feel this sort of attachment to it even though I see a lot of its flaws um you know like hurricanes (laughs) but um, (laughs) I've seen like a lot of your pride and love and loyalty to Louisiana yeah just like over the years the short years of our friendship Mm -hmm. how much you love it now and claim it as your own Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's like, once I sort of accepted that it was in some sense mine, I was able to like love it even more, Mm. you know? And it's like, we can do Mm -hmm. that with the things and the people, you know, that are ours, that are, um, that are closest to us. And we're gonna not be blind to the things that are closest to us. We're going to see their flaws. We're going to see, you know, the goodness too. And, um, if we, if we take ownership, then things 
become better. It's like if yeah. I didn't have ownership in this city, then I wouldn't do anything to change it one way or another. But because I feel yeah. ownership to it now, it's like, oh, like I need to do something, you know, whenever there yeah. is something wrong yeah. or I need to celebrate something whenever there is something good and yeah, all of that. And this ownership is what, yeah, exactly. This ownership is what determines our love of something, right? This relate, this particular relationship to things. Mm -hmm. He talks about if you just love England because it is Anglo-Saxon in origin, then it's going to let you down Mm -hmm. and you're not going to truly be loyal to it. Mm -hmm. If you, um, he gives the example of the French loving France in this most beautiful and loyal way and in he calls it in this abstract way um and you he talks about because of that because of the virtuous way that they are loyal and like passionately Mm -hmm. love and love the good things about france hate the bad things about france Mm -hmm. you see the sweeping reform in france Mm um I I was thinking that too just sorry really fast because he said nowhere else is patriotism more purely abstract and arbitrary and I think he was kind of possibly making a joke there oh yeah because (laughs) the English always make fun of the yeah and just a hundred percent of the time yeah (laughs) just saying like I mean it's completely arbitrary like why would anyone love France but yet they do you know (laughs) (laughs) yes totally um and and he's tr- he's saying something very true in that example about England. Like, um, England was once a more vast empire than it is now, right? Mm-hmm. It's this tiny island now, but you see the influences of England all over the world, mm-hmm. um, in India, here in the United States. Like, um, if you only loved England because it was once an empire. Mm-hmm you would love it no longer. You would no longer be loyal to it, but you love England because it's England and you're mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. And we should feel that way about the United States. Like we don't, we don't love it because it's perfect and because it has a perfect history. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find, you know, various and sundry sins in the history of every country, mm-hmm. but we love it because we're Americans and mm-hmm. this is our nation. And I yearn for it to be better than it is Mm -hmm. i long for a day where i can be proud of its politicians etc but yeah he says the um, devotee is entirely free to criticize the fanatic can safely be a skeptic love is not blind that is the last thing that it is love is bound and the more it is bound the less it is blind so that goes for your country that goes for your city that goes for your your children that goes for your spouse you know, um, I'm sure, I mean, I'm not married, but I can imagine that I know that people change, you know, and you love them Mm -hmm. and you choose them and loving them when you marry them. And over time they change a lot. They change in looks, you know, they change sometimes Mm -hmm. in personality, like, you know, different, Mm -hmm. different interests that they have change over time and, um, different experiences that they have changed them. And, yet you love them as a choice, you know? Um, yes. And that choice can breed, I think, again, that's that was the whole purpose of Man Alive, um, mm-hmm. that if you ba- bind yourself to what is right in front of you, like, then mm-hmm. you can, you have sort of an endless fount of discovery of, like, new reasons to love that thing. Yeah. But if you can only see what is bad and you only love for what is good, then it's like as soon as the good is taken away 
or the bad shows itself more. You just want to run in the opposite direction. Um, But Chesterton argues that staying is what is going to like reinvigorate that love once more. Like the loyalty has to come first. Yes. And I think this is so... Chesterton doesn't make this specific point in this chapter, but I think this is so um, pertinent to what we are experiencing in the world today in our church, Mm. um, Mm. especially in the Catholic church over the past few years with scandal and with just a lot of disappointing, really huge sin Mm -hmm. on the part of clergy. And um, a lot of people have wanted to leave the church or have left the church or, you know, this This is in other denominations as well. David and I listened to um, a long podcast about Mars Hill and how that church Mm. fell apart. But basically, the the church that Christ established, Christianity, it's if we run away when we see something uh, bad happen in the church, then we're we're doing exactly what Chesterton says not to do. Mm. We can't abandon this truth beautiful thing because imperfect people are in it and um don't live up to it Mm. as tempting as that is yeah we have to give it our loyalty because god made us and so we belong to him we belong to this church and and we don't just belong to it in an arbitrary kind of way Mm. we belong to it in a very real way especially if we've received sacraments Mm. in the church if you've been baptized in the name of the trinity then like you in a very real ontological way mm-hmm. belong to God. And so um, I just wanted to extend that this, what he's saying in this chapter to it's disappointing to see scandal in the church, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we, we act as the optimist or the pessimist right. saying, Oh, everything's perfect or, Oh, everything's awful. Mm-hmm. We need to passionately love what's good about the church and encourage it. And we need to hate what's bad about it and try to, um, diminish that or mm-hmm. abolish that in the church. Yeah, I think I want to read a, a quote that he's he's talking about the world, but I think it can just as well apply to the church. He's asking these questions that he then goes on to say that Christianity's paradoxical nature is able to answer these questions. But he says, can he hate it enough to change it and yet love it enough to think it worth changing? Can mm-hmm. he look up at its colossal good without once feeling acquiescence? Can he look up at its colossal evil without once feeling despair? Can he, in short, be at once not only a pessimist and an optimist, but a fantastical pe- pessimist and a fan, or sorry, a fanatical pessimist and a fanatical optimist? Is he enough of a mm-hmm. pagan to die for the world and enough of a Christian to die to it? Um, and so, in some ways, obviously, he's talking about the world, but in some ways, you can ask similar questions about the church. Um, the church on earth, I should say, um, you can see the human nature of it, um, and its brokenness, but yet love it fiercely, um, and hate its evil even more fiercely, you know? Um, so it's like, if you love it enough to, to fight, to change, you know, to change it or for it to be constantly purified by the spirit, you know? Yes. Um, what did you think of moving on to kind of a different part of this chapter? What did you think about what he said about suicide mm. and um, martyrdom? Yeah, it was fascinating. Um, I think um, just as a little caveat, obviously suicide is a very difficult and prevalent topic um, in our culture and our world today. But um, I think in reading Chesterton's thoughts about suicide, um, 
we have to kind of, I guess, table the the tight this the suicide that happens when somebody has some severe mental illness you know what i'm saying like chesterton mm-hmm. is i think speaking mm-hmm. of these people who are reasoning themselves into suicide as like a philosophical yeah. principle and so he's talking about a clear-headed choice for suicide not someone who so i just want to give that little caveat i guess like before yes. we talk about this um he's not talking about someone who is, is their will is taken from them in some sense because right. of their you know, mental illness, but he's talking about somebody who's actually thinking like, Oh, it's, it's better for me to just like, you know, peace out of this world because what, what good is there Mm -hmm. in it? You know? Um, and he's saying that that is like, it's, it's abandoning ship. It's, you know, it's like, it's something, it's like separating yourself from the world that you can't separate yourself from actually, you know? Um, and kind of taking yourself away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, and, it, and it's because you kind of see yourself as the end all be all like, mm-hmm. um, but a martyr, he says is the exact opposite because they're willing to die sometimes joyfully. So, which seems very paradoxical. Um, but they're willing to die for something outside of themselves. It has nothing at all mm-hmm. to do with themselves, but something that they want to live on. Um, yeah. whereas like the person who is sanely committing suicide is someone who wants not the world to die, like doesn't want anything to live on. Um, yes. and so the martyr is unselfish in that sense. And Chesterton mm-hmm. is arguing that the person who is sanely committing suicide is selfish because it yeah. is all about them. They're not thinking yeah. about how that's going to affect, you know, everything else or whatever. Yeah. And, and he definitely experienced, you know, he experienced suicide within his and Francis's own family, mm-hmm. which you can feel his pain mm-hmm. as he's writing about this particular mm-hmm. topic. Um, and even in his if, own journey, he at one point possibly came very dangerously close to it. Yes. Yeah, this is something that's not foreign to him. Mm -hmm. And I think part of his anger about it, uh, righteous anger, but anger nonetheless is, um, and I didn't realize this, but I guess I should know that there's nothing new under the sun, but he he touches on in this chapter, the people who defend it, the people who defend it as something noble, Mm -hmm. suicide as being something noble Mm -hmm. and um, those people who compare it to martyrdom as if it's the same thing. And he's in <laughs> rightly so enraged by that because it's such a tragedy and, and so complete, as you just said, so completely different from, from being a martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought, I thought that part of the chapter was really interesting. Yeah. And, and just him talking about like his, his own personal kind of seeing of this, like that when he mm-hmm. sort of wakes up to this is to him on the surface level it looked as if suicide and martyrdom were extremely similar and yet he Mm -hmm. knew from his you know somewhat just like living in a christian culture he knew that the christian church was radically against suicide and radically supportive of the martyrs and so Mm -hmm. he was like this doesn't make sense because they look very very similar people being like happy to die or desiring to die like in some you know weird way like how is this different but he recognizes very clearly and in like because the church the christian church was so staunchly against suicide he was like it must not be the same root like it must not be the same thing Mm -hmm. and that's where he was able to dig deeper and kind of see the difference you know 
And this is one of those cogs that was like out of place for him that he sees fall into place with Christianity, with the way the Christian view of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And then he kind of discusses right before the end of the chapter when he, when he claims that Christianity is, is it for him that he has, uh, seen it drop into place in that hole in the world. But right before that, he talks about um, the criticism that Christianity is out of date Mm. and Mm -hmm. kind of out of touch, right? Because it's so old. Um, And I think we've touched on this in previous episodes, um, how just because something is older does not mean that it is Mm -hmm. less true or that it's not valuable but what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I loved, there's a quote in my version, my Ignatius Press version on page 80. It says, an imbecile habit has arisen in modern controversy of saying that such and such a creed can be held in one age, but cannot be held in another. Some dogma we are told was credible in the 12th century, but is not credible in the 20th. You might as well say that a certain philosophy can be believed on Mondays, but cannot be believed on Tuesdays. You might as well Mm -hmm. say of a view of the cosmos that it was suitable at half past three, but not suitable to half past four. Um, It just it's so clear when he says it that way. You're like, oh, yeah, like it can't be the time that is the difference. You know, it has to be he's like there. There may be a difference and there may be something, you know, that is unacceptable but it's it's an idea it doesn't have anything to do with just like if it's old or not you know um or if it's just at a different time period so we really need to stop assuming that something must be oh it's just out of date you know that doesn't make any sense to him logically um he's like you can you can argue against my philosophy you know you can give me reasons but like don't tell me like it's wrong because it's old (laughs) you know yeah it was either always wrong or yeah. it was always right. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. It does. It didn't change. It wasn't right at one point and now it's wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I find this to be very comforting and very true. Mm-hmm. And as people have told me, oh, it goes so fast. It goes so fast. Like enjoy the stage of your family. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of made me realize um, life really does go quickly mm-hmm. and our lives are very short the centuries have gone by quickly in God's eyes Mm -hmm. Um, and how beautiful that Christianity was true when it was established and it's true today. Mm. Um, So he ends this chapter with saying that he felt this hole in the world and he has found Christianity to be the spike that perfectly fills the hole. Mm. Um, This kind of reminded me of what C.S. Lewis says about um, desire um, he says, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, if I find that I have this desire that can't be fulfilled by anything in this world, I must be called to another world. Mm. Um, and I think that is the overarching point of this chapter is that we are temporarily members of this world meant to live here for a time, but ultimately called on to something greater to another to eternal life, mm. um, which is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I really like in the very end of this chapter that he is contrasting, just as he's contrasting the optimist and the pessimist and seeing them as like two sides to the same coin or whatever, he's mm-hmm. also contrasting the Stoics with the pagans. Um, mm-hmm. And he's talking about how some people tend to see 
Christianity as like, oh, it's just, you know, kind of completing or going to the next level of what the Stoics were doing or whatever. And he's Mm. like, no, 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 no. Like it's a different category. Like the Stoics and the pagans were two sides to the same coin and neither one of them made sense. And Christianity makes sense of them both. Like Christianity like brings what is good in both and, and drops what is bad in both um, and is able to bring them together. And that was really helpful for me to kind of see those in, um, in categories. And I think that it's like, we can see them a lot today too. Um, the stoicism of kind of say, he talks about like the inner light, mm-hmm. um, as being like this worship of yourself, right? Basically. Like that God, the true God is the God within, you know, um, yeah, yeah. and Marcus Aurelius and all that. And like, then the pagans would say like, no, the God isn't the God within the God is the God without, but the God is like nature, you know, it's like the world itself. It's the the, sun, it's the moon, Mm -hmm. it's the star, you know, it's whatever. It's like the things of the world, um, that are God, but there's a problem with both of those things because like both of those things like end up leading you to brokenness. You know, we, he, I think he talked about like the God within the kind of like, I'm the one who gets to control my own, um, identity and destiny and whatever we talked about that in an earlier chapter that it ultimately leads to this very small locked cell you know where Mm -hmm. there's nothingness and brokenness you know because you don't hold the entire world within yourself you know yes um and then on the opposite hand he says that it seems as if there's a um a breaking out of oneself and paganism, you know, mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. look towards something else like the sun to which worship. Is good. Yeah. Which is good. And as far as it goes, that it breaks you out of yourself, but he says that it naturally leads down this path to corruption. Yeah. Um, yeah. because the thing that you start worshiping, um, it's like, it's, it's meant, not God. Yeah. So it also ends up corrupting you and yeah. it ends up, destroying you um so it only makes sense it's like yes you have to turn out of yourself but there's some it has to be to something that actually does hold the whole universe you know something that actually can fill that infinite hole and desire and yeah if these things aren't properly ordered Mm -hmm. if like uh, stoicism and paganism both have Mm -hmm. hints of the truth in them right like the some of the things that the Stoics say sound very um, Christian in a way because they do talk about detachment from worldly things. Mm-hmm. And and then in paganism, it's like turning outward towards something beautiful a lot of the time, like in nature. But w- it's not properly mm-hmm. ordered because if God isn't at the top of this hierarchy of um, goods for us uh, mm-hmm. and recognized as like the creator of all of these things, then... Mm-hmm. Basically, we we end up worshiping ourselves yeah. or what we th- what we think is um, correct. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing that he the other point that he makes is that like, and he maybe doesn't say this in so many words, but in nature, like the things outside of ourselves, but in nature, in the universe, there's both good and bad. Like, mm-hmm. um, and in us, because of sin, there's both good and bad. Um, mm-hmm. But in God, there's only good. Like God is the source of all goodness. God is the source Mm -hmm. of all like true love. Right. And so it's like, if we can find ourselves in him and worship that, like that there, it's not ever going to corrupt. It's always going to purify. Um, He says 
that about the time when the Stoic idealism had begun to show the weaknesses of pessimism, the old nature worship of the ancients had begun to show the enormous weaknesses of optimism. Um, and he said the only objective to natural religion, like the pagan religion, is that somehow it always becomes unnatural. Um, mm-hmm. And then he talks about how like um, it kind of it's like you start worshiping nature for her goodness, but then start worshiping her for her darkness and her cruelty because nature can be mm-hmm. very dark and very cruel. Um, yeah. And so it, it ends up just destroying you in that way um, because there is this this sort of dark side you know yeah yeah. um and he it was interesting he said the mere pursuit of health always leads to something unhealthy um Mm -hmm. physical nature must not be made the direct object of obedience it must be enjoyed but not worshipped and i I was just Mm -hmm. thinking today of just because he mentioned health it made me think of like today's like health fanatics and stuff like that where it's like you start out being like oh it's good to take care of my body and i should be help you know try to seek health but then when it becomes your god it ends up destroying you you know and you can see that in people's lives who are so obsessed and addicted to you know health and fitness and whatever that it just ends up taking over their entire life and personality and yeah Yeah. and it ends up actually being very detrimental to their overall health you know so yeah anyway I found that all of those quotes that I just read they were helpful to me to kind of see you know that in our own culture today and stuff absolutely um did you have any other notes on this chapter that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up um I don't think so I just I guess just to say that that Christianity works because it divides God from his creation, but yet binds them together in love. So Mm. it's like it's a it's a paradox. Yeah. So it's like you see the the separation like in paganism and in stoicism. There's not a separation between God and nature. Mm. Um, In stoicism, like you are the God, like in paganism, nature is the God, but you're not ever separate from it. Um, But because there's this distinct separation, it allows like this union that doesn't destroy. Um, And it's, yeah, I just think that that, I just wanted to, I guess, wrap that up in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I think he, um, when he talks about the artist, God being like an artist Mm. who for, he gives the example of writing a poem, I think. Mm. Um, and how, you know, once he's written this poem, it's, yeah, it's separate from him. It's out in the world for people to read and to enjoy, but it's always his Mm -hmm. and always his creation, Mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So Mm -hmm. beautiful. Okay. Well, once again, one of my favorite chapters Mm -hmm. loved discussing it today. If anybody has any questions or wants to contribute something to the discussion, um, I realized we've kind of never invited people to tell us if they disagree with Oh, us. yes. Tell us if you but, have thoughts. Yeah, please write in to us if you um, if you have a different thought or, or took in this chapter in a different way or thought something um, other than what we've mentioned. Um, we'd love to hear it from you. And you can reach us at um, our email most easily, I think, for something like that, pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, please reach out to us if if you'd like to contribute to the discussion. And if you do, we can mention it in the next episode. Um, yeah. It would be great to, to address that. Do you have anything that you're grateful for this week? 
Oh my gosh, baby, my baby, <laughs> my baby, my husband. Um, just yeah, it family life is very beautiful. It obviously, has its challenges <laughs> that goes without saying, but is overwhelmingly good and just really thankful for a happy, healthy little baby. So awesome. What about you? Just this weather. It's been so glorious. When I read this chapter, and especially the very end, the last kind of two pages where he is sort of exulting in the fact that everything clicked for him. And then he's mm. every, all of a sudden the world around him was just even more glorious, you know? And again, I think that's a common theme in Chesterton. I felt that mm. way when I was sitting outside reading this chapter and the weather was so perfect. And I was just like, this makes so much sense that there's this person behind all of this that has created mm. it the way that he's created it for this purpose. And I don't know, it just, everything just felt like it was coming together like it was for him. So I'm grateful just for the weather. Beautiful. Um, well, please, um, like I said, find us. Uh, you can email email us at pintswithchesterton at gmail.com or find us at Instagram at pintswithchesterton or our website, pintswithchesterton.com. Um, next time, we will be talking about Chapter 6, The Paradoxes of Christianity. Um, we've only got nine chapters, I believe, in this book, so um, you have time to... <laughs> catch up get on board with <laughs> us yeah um and we're really looking forward to our conversation next time may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy cheers cheers, cheers.